mic so they know that it's recording. And let's go ahead and pray as we open up the Word of God. Lord, we just thank you for your Word, for your, your care, and that you gave us your message on how you want us to live and how you want us to <coughs> behave and how we are to worship you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 2, starting in verse 17. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. All right. And you know, if you've been around me at all, you know that Galatians 2.20 is probably my favorite verse. I, I memorized it when I was 15 years old, and it has become more and more real to me in the recent years. I want to read these verses, because these verses are kind of complex, and I'm going to read them out of a different translation. I very rarely do this. This translation... I won't mean anything to any of you, but it's a Kenneth Wiest translation. Kenneth Wiest was a Greek scholar teaching in Moody in the early uh, 20th century. He died in, uh, in 62. Uh, and he basically was trying to make a Bible that people got a sense of what the Greek said. Um, and when we say that, there, there's tenses in the Greek that we don't have in English to begin with, uh, which makes it hard to translate when you're trying to figure out how do I describe this thing that happened one time in the past and goes forward forever? <laughs> we don't really have a word like uh, tense like that. We have a past tense, a present, and a future in English, which makes English a very hard language to look at the Greek text with. But I just want to read this to you because I found it very interesting. If I can read it here. But if, as is the case, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves are also found to be sinners. Is Christ therefore the promoter of sin? Away with the thought. For if the things I tear down, these again I build up, I exhibit myself as a transgressor. For as myself, I through the intermediate agency of the law died to law in order that I might live with respect to God. With Christ I have been crucified and it is no longer I who live, but there lives in me Christ. And that life which I now live in the sphere of the flesh, by faith I live it, which, which faith is of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself on my behalf. I do not thwart the efficiency of grace of God, for if through the law comes righteousness, then Christ died without cause. And those are some interesting words. We're going to cover some of this just to help you understand a little bit. But it says, and we've been talking about how salvation comes by grace. Last week we talked, salvation comes by grace, not by works. There is nothing I can do that will please God enough to have him take me to heaven. Nothing. Nothing, and the law's purpose is one thing, to show us that we are sinners. Even with the Jews, it was not the law that made them righteous enough to come before God. It was the sacrifices they made that pointed to Jesus' sacrifice. And that's when, on Wednesday night, we're going to be looking at all those, those offerings of Jesus that point to, or all the offerings that they made that pointed to Jesus. <laughs> Get the right words. So we want to look at this. He's, he's saying in this verse, in verse 17, But 
if, we're going to stop right there, but if. And remember with, with but we have to look back and say, what is it contrasting to? Okay, and in this case it's contrast, contrasting back to the works and faith discussion that he had. And this if in Greek means if and it will. It's not an if and it may or may not. This particular if in Greek is if and you will sin as we get further into that. And this is kind of interesting for us because in English, if means if, it, if and it may or may not be true. And that's the only way we use if in, in English. The Greek has multiple ifs, if and it will happen, if and it won't happen, which if you read an if and it may or may not happen in English, and he's saying it won't happen, you can get yourself in a lot of confusion. And in Hebrews 6, that's exactly what happens when they read, if you leave the faith, he was saying, if and you cannot. Uh, and then people go, well, you can lose your salvation. It says so right there. But in Greek, you have to get into the Greek and see that it is not an if and it may or may not. <coughs> they have an if that it's if and you may or may not. You know, and I may bore you with this, but I just want you to understand is if you've ever done any kind of translation work, I studied German in high school and college, and how often did we have to translate it? And you spent time trying to figure out the right word that you wanted to translate the other word into. And this is one of the reasons I like the kind of three translation of the New Testament because he does bring out these different, different inferences of if. But he says, but if and you will, while we seek to be justified by Christ, ourselves also are found sinners. Okay, if and I will be found a sinner. Even when I'm trying to find Jesus and, and have him justify me, I will sin. And we've talked about this. There's three parts of sin that Paul is bringing out in this, in this chapter. Number one, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Lord, I'm a sinner. I accept your sacrifice. Please come into my heart and save me. And immediately, we are justified. And justified is a legal declaration from God sitting on his throne in heaven saying, my child is perfect. Now this verse, and we, this verse tells us, and we know we are not perfect. But God says from heaven, because you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are perfect. Now there's denominations that get into all kinds of troubles because they teach you that we're supposed to be perfect. That somehow we can walk in perfection. And they take the sanctification, excuse me, they take the justification verses to make us say, God said you're perfect, we're supposed to be perfect. Well, it's only in heaven, in the heavenly places, that we are perfect. And we've talked about justification last week. Justification gives us the access to the throne of heaven. We get to come into God's presence because he says we're perfect. He looks down at us and says, there's my son or my daughter. We're clothed in Jesus Christ. His righteousness closes, clothes us and makes us perfect in his sight. Now we're going to live, hopefully, long lives, and we're going to start being sanctified. And sanctified is to be made holy. And every one of us will spend our entire life trying to be what God said we were in the first place. And we've talked, and this verse is all about how we do that, and we're going to get more into how do I get sanctified. And then the third part of salvation is the day that our mortal body dies and God makes us who he said we were in the beginning. Now, and this is why I tell us that we want to grab hold of this Christianity is really the easiest walk you ever have because all you've got to do 
you surrender to God. And have yourself crucified, have the flesh crucified, and be sanctified. Now, having said that it's easy, I know that it's hard. And every time I share this with somebody who's having trouble, they go, but how do you do this? How can you do this so easy? We're going to get more into that. We're going to look more into this. But remember, the Judaizers keep coming to Paul everywhere Paul goes, and he says, you know, Paul's only giving you half the message. You've got to follow all these rules to be good for God to accept you. And he's going, you know, they're basically saying that Jesus is a liar. He didn't pay for it all. He just got you in the door, and then you have to do something to stay there, and that's not the way it is. We can't do anything to get there. We can't do anything to stay there. All we do is let him do the work through us. Verse 18. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, and this, we're going to give you a, a Greek lesson here. This word destroyed is in aorist tense, and it's active and it is indicative. So we're going to explain what all that is. Aorist means that it happened one time in the past and continues forever. What I have destroyed in my life happened one time, and as far as God's concerned, it's gone. Active means I did it. Indicative is, is that it's a fact. I came into Christ, I invited him into my heart, and he destroyed the sin nature. Unfortunately, in reality, we walk with the sin nature and we have to keep it, keep it down. But he says, it's done. Again, it's one of those things that he says, I have finished it. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, he said, all of the law has been paid for. All of it. It's not, it's not I get saved and then I've got to keep myself from that point on because I'm not going to be able to. Jesus died for all the sins I committed up to the time I got saved. He paid for all the sins after I got saved. He paid for all the sins of any grandchildren or great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren. They're already paid for. They're gone. Because he finished the work on the cross. It's called the finished work of Christ. He paid everything. All we have to do is walk in the victory that he already has accomplished. Now, have you said that? It's, it's one of those things that's both very easy to do and yet very hard to actually do, isn't it? You know, have you ever been to that place where something sounds so simple? We think about the gospel message. I said earlier, you can give the gospel message in 30, to 30 seconds to a minute to somebody. But is that all that's involved in the gospel message? I've just spent 15 minutes you know, just telling you that there's much more than that at the same time. But you get your foot in the door with a very basic message. And I've shared with you, I, I saw a set of commentaries on soteriology that was 15 volumes long, and each one had about 500 pages in it. Soteriology is salvation. You, know, you want to talk about something that is simple, <laughs> you can give in 30 to 40 seconds, but yet you can spend your entire life thinking about. That is what God's word does for us. He makes it so that it is simple, and yet will challenge you for the rest of your life. Verse 18, for though... For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might be life unto God. The law tells us that we're sinners. All through Exodus and Deuteronomy, God says, if you don't keep the whole law, you've transgressed all. Jesus in the gospel said the same thing. If you don't keep all the law, you've transgressed everything. Yeah. And that's hard. That's hard because we all know we can't keep all the law. 
613 laws out there the Jews have counted. I'm not going to argue with them. They've studied it pretty good. They probably know. And we can't even keep God's, what most people call the top ten. You shall honor the Lord your God. You shall have no other idols. You shall not use his name in vain. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not covet. Most of us probably haven't actually murdered in the flesh, but Jesus raised that too. If you even think about it, you've murdered the person as far as God's concerned. We can't even keep the basic laws. And Jesus said the greatest law is to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. And probably none of us can even keep that law. And then he says to love your neighbor as yourself. We cannot keep the law. The law is there to show us that we are dead. Adam and Eve in the garden, God said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And he wasn't referring to physical death, even though they kicked in physical death. After they ate, they lived for 900 years, and then they died physically. But they died spiritually the moment they violated his law. They were separated from God. And what did they do? First thing was they tried to hide from God. God, we know we've been out there talking to you every day in the cool of the evening, but uh, we can't come. We're naked. And they made clothes out of fig leaves. I don't know if that would be very comfortable at all. Uh, especially as they started drying out. They would definitely not be comfortable. But they were trying to hide because their spiritual life had been cut off. And God is saying, I want you. He gave the very first prophecy of Jesus that the serpent would bruise his heel and he would crush the serpent's head. Speaking of Jesus at the cross. God knew that they were going to sin. He knew that they were going to fail and he already had the plan in place to redeem. Because he knew that we would never be able to come back to perfection. That's God's standard for heaven is to enter into heaven you have to be perfect. And there's not a one of us that's perfect. And I've, and I've told you the story about my painter friend going to the art store looking for a canvas to, to paint on. He went through, uh, must have been 50 to 100 canvases, and he found one that he considered perfect. And I'm going, what are you looking for? And he goes, well, see, there's a smudge here, there's a dimple here. You know, he was an artist. He was selling his art. He wanted perfection. God's standard for heaven is perfection. How much sin does it take to not be perfect? All it takes is one. As soon as we've committed one sin, we're, no, we're not perfect in God's eyes. And that's why Jesus came to die on the cross for us. So that he would become sin on the cross. He became sin on the cross and the Father turned his back on him and he said, My God, my God, why, has you for, why have you forsaken me? The first time in all of eternity that the Father and Son were separated. Perfect unity for eternity. He became sin and the Father said, I cannot even look at you anymore. We can't even fathom what the pain of that would be. We think about the pain of the nails and the scourging and the, and the crown of thorns and the beating and the pulling out of his beard and, and all of that. You know, and that is painful. I'm not going to belittle that at all. But the pain of the Father turning his back on the Son Broken fellowship that had been there for all of eternity. Broken. I guess the closest that I can never come to would be if you can remember your first real love and the pain of that breakup that most people have when they, you know, this person's their whole world and they break up. 
And yet that is nothing compared to somebody who's had a relationship for eternity. Paul says, I've been, I've, the law shows that I am dead and I come alive because of Christ. My verse that I love, I am crucified with Christ. Look at these words, I am. I am crucified with Christ. Crucified is past tense. I get Jesus Christ into my life and he crucifies my flesh. In 1 Corinthians 5.17, we become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.15, sorry. We become a new creation in Christ. We're brand new. He says the flesh is dead. Now we keep trying to bring the flesh up out of the grave and try to let it live. But God says, I have crucified it. I am crucified. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. How do we have victory in, in our in our day-to-day -day walk? I let God crucify my flesh. I keep it keep it crucified. <coughs> and I let him be my guide. Very easy, very easy to say, very hard to do. But again, we've talked about this. Every time we do in a spiritual adventure, a spiritual walk, we learn to walk. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to walk in the crucifixion and the resurrection perfectly from the beginning. We're going to fall flat on our faces, as a matter of fact, at the beginning. We're going to, we're going to keep stumbling. But the more we do it, the better we get at it. And I hope you know what I'm saying, because if you look back over your life, is it easier not to sin in certain areas of your lives today than it was a year ago? If your answer is no, I've got some problems that you need to come, you need to get together with God and grow and be sanctified. I'm not going to be your judge, but I'm just going to say, you need to get together with God. If you look back in your life and say, well, I used to do this, this, and this, and I don't longer do it, and I don't even want to do it anymore, you're growing in the walk with Christ and the crucifixion of that area of your life. Will we ever get to perfection? Nope. We will never get to perfection. Even in all of eternity, we're going to be learning because God is always going to be greater than we are because if we could know everything that God knows, we would be God. We will spend all of eternity learning more about God. The good news is in heaven, we won't forget what we already learned. <laughs> and there won't be a sin nature to make us fall down flat on our face. You know, I, I, it's sad to me sometimes when I think about how much I've forgotten about God. How much I forget, and I go back through my notes, I go back through notes, and, and I go, oh, I know that. I, I'd forgotten it. And our challenge is to get into his word, get to know him, get to walk with him. Because he says, Paul's saying, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved us. He's looking for us to come to him. And he says, I'm there. I just want you to come to me. I want you to love me. I want you to, because I love you. We would not love God if he didn't love us first. Because there's no reason for us to. And how often times have you talked to somebody and their picture of God is this great big mean person playing whack-a-mole. You stick your head out of the ground and he whacks it. You know, I know lots of people who believe that's God. Just waiting for me to do something wrong so, I can smack, so he can smack us over the head. That's not God. God is going to love us. He's going to give us grace. He knows that we're going to fail. He knows that we're going to make mistakes. And he's saying, I just want to pick you up and lift you up. That is God. He's not angry up there. He's not the mean 
vicious person trying to ruin all of our fun. He's saying, I want you to get to know me. Paul says later on, I, I want to know Christ and Christ crucified. We want to know God. When we first come to Jesus, we come because, oh God, I don't want to go to hell. Come into my heart and keep me from going to hell. And I have no problem with that being the reason people come to Jesus. But if you've been walking with him 30, 40 years and the only thing you know about him is he's keeping me from hell, we need to get you into God's word. We need to get you to love God, fall in love with God because God's is not a religion. This is not a religion. It's, we've talked about this. It's not God giving us a whole bunch of rules and say, keep these rules and you'll learn heaven. Because number one, we wouldn't be able to keep the rules. He gave us 613 of them and we can't keep them. He says, I paid for them. Come to me. Give me I'll give you grace. Getting everything from God. Getting everything from him that we don't deserve. Heaven, peace, joy, <coughs> A relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus. Him indwelling our life, being the one that says, walk, this is the way, walk you in it. We want to see him guide us and lead us. And the last verse we're going to look at, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ died in vain. This is his answer to the Judaizers. If you could make yourself righteous by following the law, Jesus wasted his time coming down to die for you. We need to get hold of that in our brains, saying, it is not anything I do, it is all of what Jesus has done. And we want to be able to look at that because it is so important. It's all about Jesus. There's nothing that I do that makes him say, okay, you're good enough to come into heaven. There's only one person that ever had a life that was good enough to come into heaven, and that was Jesus. Because he's the only one that lived a perfect life. We need to come to him and say, God, crucify me. Crucify me. Make that your prayer each morning. God, crucify my flesh and help me walk your way today. Will I fail? Absolutely. Will you do better each week and each day? I hope so. Because if you're living in Christ and he's the one giving you the strength, you should be. As he's killing more of your flesh and, and destroying it and making more of it him, you should be getting more righteousness, more righteous more sanctified, more holy. And this is what's important for us to look at. Let's bow our heads. and Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you. Lord, if there is anyone in here that does not know you, we ask that you work on their heart right now. All you have to do is say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know that I will head for hell because of my sins, and I accept your gift of righteousness, Christ. And Lord, we ask that you be with us as we sing some songs and that we have the communion to follow. In your son's name, amen.